Good evening, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Joshua 2, verses 1 to 24. Joshua 2, verses 1 to 24. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shatim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the forts. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the man said to her, our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives you the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let, down, let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. 
and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you, if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And this is the word of the Lord. To God. Church, shall we rise as we receive the gospel reading? The gospel reading for this evening is found in the first chapter, according to the Gospel of St. Matthew, beginning at the first verse. Glory to Christ, our Savior. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, reading from verse 1 to verse 6. Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Church, will you please be seated? Shall we bow our heads as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer? <clears throat> so, Father, we pray that this morning as we hear your word, may you stir our hearts bring our faith up that we may be obedient to what you want us to do. And Father, as we invite your Holy Spirit to come into our midst, we pray, Father, you'll give us attentive ears, receptive minds, and obedient hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, when God first introduced himself to Abraham, he assured the patriarch of three wonderful promises. That God will firstly provide him many descendants, that God will establish an everlasting covenant with him, and lastly, that Abraham will possess a land, and not only a land, but a vast and very good land. And thus far, we have seen that the first two promises had been fulfilled. But it is the assurance of land that has not yet been realized. But however, based on our passage today, you see that the time had now finally arrived for the Hebrew people to cross over the Jordan and possess the promised land of Canaan. But along the way, though, will be filled with many challenging obstacles that needed to be overcome. 
And first up is the form and the might of Jericho, a rather formidable and fortified city that is situated up north of the Dead Sea. Historians tell us that the inhabitants of this land were very barbaric by nature. They burned babies alive. They had no regard for humans, nor respect for God. And we find that it is into this city that this chapter opens with Joshua dispatching two spies to reckon the place. And it is in this city that the spies came across a woman by the name of Rahab. Now, what can we say about this woman? Well, as we zoom into the text before us, we can conclude the following facts. Firstly, in verse 1, we are told that she was a harlot. Harlot simply means she's a prostitute by trade. She hid the spies from those searching for them, and she even helped the Israelite spies to escape. She came to believe in the God of Abraham before she ever met the children of Abraham. And she single-handedly saved her entire household from potential death. But you find that that's not all. In the Hall of Fame of Faith, as recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, you find that there are only the names of only two women are mentioned. One was that of Sarah, and the other, I guess you probably know by now, it was Rahab. And as we look into this, we can probably comprehend the reason as to why Sarah's name ought to be mentioned. After all, wasn't she the wife of the founder of the Jewish people? But Rahab? Why put Rahab's name there as part of the Hall of Fame of Faith? Well, as pointed out, she was an ungodly Gentile, she worshipped pagan god, and she sold her body for money. You juxtapose them together and we can conclude that both women had absolutely nothing in common. But yet, unmistakably, you see that Rahab is seen here standing toe-to-toe with Sarah as a woman of faith. And there's even more. The Bible also associates Rahab with the Savior. And in case you don't believe me, just go through again the list of names that I've just read to you in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And you'll find that her name is printed right there in verse 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. There you go. She sits among famous giants like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and Solomon, just to name a few. And so today, as we look into this passage today, we find that this chapter, and we're going to look into these two parts, we're going to look at the faith of Rahab, and secondly, we will consider the grace of God. The faith of Rahab. Now, you find that the whole community in Jericho was probably aware of what happened outside the city walls. News must have spread like wildfire over what the Israelites did to the two kings of the Amorites, to Sihon and to King Og. And as Rahab would disclose, if you look into your passage in verse 9, fear fell upon the entire city. Rahab claimed to the spies that because of what the Israelites did, she says that all the inhabitants of the land melt away. And not only that, she even added that the hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any of the men. 
So you see, it's not surprisingly, therefore, that the king of Jericho was alerted to the presence of Joshua's spies. But before we go further, here's an interesting thought for us to ponder. Was the sending out of the two spies an act of unbelief on the part of Joshua? Think about this for a moment. You know, some may criticize him to say that, you know, perhaps Joshua lacked faith. He should have depended upon God. After all, you, if you recall back in chapter 1, Joshua was already assured of victory by the Lord. Remember? God gave him the promise that I will give you this land. I will give you victory. And if this be the case, why then did Joshua bother to send spies into the city? Well, I believe it's not a case of unbelief. You see, it's important for us to know that being assured of God's promises does not mean we blindly charge into it. You see, a good general or a good leader will still need time to plan and to learn all he can about the enemy before heading into battle. And so we find sending out spies by Joshua was a standard practice. It's a kind of an SOP. But moreover, how would Joshua know that God would deliver Jericho by some miraculous means? If God did tell Joshua that I'm going to destroy Jericho by this miraculous means, definitely he would not have sent the spy. But how would Joshua have known? So as such, you'll find that it's right and proper that he took the appropriate steps, and in this case, sending out the two spies to check out the land. And the lesson for us here is this. You see, God may well do something supernatural for us in our lives, but it is presumptuous on our part to assume that He will always act in this manner. And as disciples of Christ, we will not, it does not mean we show less faith by assuming God works through the most natural means rather than through the miraculous. But there's another important reason. You find, most importantly, Joshua sent the two spies because if he didn't dispatch them, they would not have encountered Rahab and she and her entire family would not have experienced God's grace and be spared. And so as the story continues on, we are told that Joshua's spouts were eventually not very good spies. They were hopeless. They had no skill in, 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 in spying out the land. Because why? It appeared that they are a couple of bumbling incompetents. Why? Because they were easily spotted. They were easily recognized as spies. And so as the people realized that they were spies, what did they do? They alerted the king. And the king sends his troops to search for them. But we are told as the story continues that the two men, however, they were able to evade capture and they somehow found refuge in the home of this woman, Rahab. And instead of giving them up, we are told that Rahab daringly hit them up on the roof of a house, and she even lied to the king's men, sending them on a wild goose chase. I'm sure that what Rahab did here, and what she said, must have stunned the spies, if not us. For sure, the two spies never expected to find cowards in the city. But what's even more, 
they never expected to find such faith in a woman named Rahab. So let's now examine this faith of this woman. <clears throat> now, it's unfortunate that there are some today who have this wrong notion that faith is just believing and things will somehow happen. Now, let me relate this incident to you. <clears throat> Many years back, when I was at another church, there was this incident where one of the members of the church, the man, uh, happened to be retrenched. <coughs> at the time, he, went, he, he, he left the church and he went on to another church, a mega church, and I'm going to mention which church it was. But he went to another church, and along the way, he was somehow retrenched. And the wife, who happened to be a church member of where I was serving, was a bit concerned and started to ask me to talk to him because I knew him personally. And so as I went over to the house, I saw him sitting down there, you know, just watching TV, shaking his legs, reading newspaper. And I asked him, hey, how, how is it going? Have you, are you able to find a job? And what he said to me, stunned me. <coughs> he said this, Oh, pastor, I don't need to worry. All I need to do, as my pastor tells me in this new church, is that all I need to do is to have faith, and then I will have a job. That means to say, all he needs to do is just sit down in the chair, have faith, and God will just throw a job right at his lap. Is this what faith is all about? Is this how the Bible teaches us faith? You see, you can have faith that a drinking machine will dispense drink. Go out there if you're thirsty, you know, you know that the dispensing machine will, will give you drink. But the fact is, you won't get a can of Coke if you don't put in any coins into it. All the faith in the world will not cause the item to be dispensed. Isn't that true? You need to do something about it. And Rahab's faith wasn't like that. And in the words of the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, he reminds us, he says that faith must show itself in the whole personality. Faith must show itself in the whole personality. And what he meant by this phrase is that faith isn't just some intellect by which we convince ourselves that something is true. Faith is not merely something that has to do with our emotions. True faith involves the whole personality. That is to say, your mind is instructed, your emotions is stirred, and this will result in the will of acting out in obedience to God. And church, you see this faith in the example of Noah. <clears throat> because if you look to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the Bible says this, that by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet not seen, the intellect, in reverent fear, the emotion, he constructed an ark, the will. The whole personality of Noah is reflected here in his faith. We also see this faith very clearly in the example of Rahab. Why? Because in verses 9 and 12 to 30, we see that she placed her faith in Jehovah God before the spies even arrived in Jericho. We are told that she knew Jehovah was the true God in her mind. She feared for herself and her family, mem and her family members, the emotion. And she received the, the spies and, 
pleaded for them for the salvation of her household, the will. So you see, unless the whole personality of our being is involved, it is not faith as described in scriptures. And so according to verse 12, as we continue on in this narrative, we find that a deal was eventually struck between Rahab and the two spies. She would, ex- she would assist them in, a, in the escape, and in return, she would be spared from the bloodbath that was to come. And as a sign of this agreement, all she needed to do was just to secure the window, the scarlet rope which the spies used in their escape. And as we ponder and reflect over this, you find that this is really a picture of the Passover. You see, the color of the red rope is of great significance. Why? Because it represents the color of blood. And if you recall the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, just as Moses was instructed, or rather the Israelites were instructed to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts back in Egypt to mark as a sign that the angel of death would pass by them and not slay its occupants, the red rope marked in the house of Rahab shows that the occupants, the Israelites, were to protect and not to harm. So we must be clear that Rahab and her household were not saved by the faith in the rope, but she was saved by her faith in the God of Israel. And as we ponder even deeper, you find that there's another conundrum for Rahab because there's a risk that she had to consider. Because look with me to verse 20. Verse 20 tells us that she was specifically warned by the two spies not to diverge any of the agreement to anyone. And if she did this, the arrangement is off. But then, here's the thing. Put yourself in Rahab's position. If you want your whole entire family to be safe, if your family members are to, to be rescued, don't they need to be informed of the impending threat as well as the plan that was arranged? What if she had told them and, you know, the parents, the, the family members kind of, no, no, I think we shouldn't do this, you know, and, and begin to leak out the secret. Or suppose one of them, you know, hap- or someone happened to spot the, the scarlet rope outside the window and then question, hey, what is this scarlet rope doing out there? All this will lead her into trouble and jeopardize the mission. Her life would be at stake. But you know, as it turns out, despite of the danger, we once again see the faith, we once again see the courage of Rahab. Why? Because she went ahead to inform them of the arrangement. As I thought about this further, you know, I begin to see that her actions here mirrors that of the believer who wants everyone to know the price of redemption. Nothing was going to stop this believer from sharing the good news. And that was what Rahab wanted to do, isn't it? She knew of the good news, that she's going to be saved. And she wanted to share this good news with her family member. But yet, at the same time, she realized that if she talked too much, her life might be in danger. If she shared the plans, things may go awry. But on the other hand, if she didn't do this, those who are dear those who are precious to her will be in grave danger. 
So may this example of Rahab encourage and challenge us all to emulate her boldness in wanting to share the gospel, perhaps to our family members who have not heard the gospel yet, or to our friends, our colleagues, to those who have not known of the Savior's love. <coughs> but finally, you find that at the end of it all, the last thing we can say about Rahab's faith is this, is this, that her faith ultimately inspired the faith of the two spies. Because we are told that when they finally returned back to base, this was what they reported to Joshua. They told Joshua this, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. The faith of Rahab inspired the faith of the two spies. <coughs> when we pause to think about the story of Rahab, <coughs> I think it's quite, we can agree that it's quite remarkable that God would even use someone like her. We mentioned her background, but I never mentioned to you her character. Why? Because you find that evidently, here was a woman who was a liar. You can say that she was a compulsive liar. Why? Because when confronted by the king's soldier on the whereabouts of the two Israelites, we are told that she lied not once, not twice, but she lied three times. Look with me. Verse 4, she falsely admitted that she did not know where the spies were from. Verse 5, she, did not, she lied that she did not know where they were. And then she even lied that the spies had already left. And I don't know about you, but it seems that Rahab's lying has troubled many Christians today. Yes, on the one hand, we can argue and say that Rahab demonstrated great faith in risking her life to protect the two spies. But on the other hand, she behaved like any unbeliever and hookwing the soldiers about her guests. And if we are too quick to condemn her, maybe we are expecting too much from Rahab, from Rahab. After all, if you think about this, you find that men of God, like Abraham, even his son Isaac, and even King David, they all resorted to deception. And if that be the case, I think we better not be too hard on her. But of course, this is not to say that this gives you and I the license to lie. Far be from it. Because the Bible is very clear. The Bible teaches us that lying is wrong. And that lying in the eyes of God is an abomination to Him. And commenting on this particular section, Old Testament scholar David Firth agrees that though her behavior is far from exemplary, he further adds that her intentions, however, can be commended. But perhaps it will be helpful for us to note that all of this, that the lying of Rahab points us to my next point. It points us to the grace of our God. The God that we have is a gracious God. And grace is not something that God puts on and takes off depending on the situation or depending on His liking. No, our God is always gracious because it is just who He is. 
And because God is gracious, He demonstrates grace in everything that He does. Moses declares in Exodus 34 verse 6, he tells us that the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we definitely have experienced the grace of God, isn't it? We experience the grace of God at the cross of Jesus, where we are the worst of sinners. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And in this narrative, we find that God, in His grace, chooses to use His servants, those we sometimes think are not capable. We may think that this person is a sinner. How can God use this person? But in the grace of God, He uses them. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. What is weak in the world to shame the strong. So it's not surprisingly that God could even use someone like Rahab, a lying, pagan-worshipping, Gentile lady. So ethical problems aside, the key lesson here draws us not only to Rahab's faith, but also to the unmistakable grace of God in including her as part of the kingdom. Now, in case some of you don't realize, you will discover that the Israelites that came out of Egypt, they were not a bunch of pure Jews. Meaning to say, all those that came out of Egypt, they were not all Jews. We are told that they include Gentiles as well, non-Jews. But these are Gentiles who had faith, who believe in Israel's God. If you don't believe me, you read in the Exodus account that those who journeyed with the people of Israel out of Egypt consists of a mixed multitude. Exodus chapter 12, verse 38. Meaning to say that this mixed multitude is a variety of people, not only the Jews. And here in this passage today, we can now include in the list Rahab and her family. You see, in her confession of her faith, Rahab identified Yahweh as a God. By placing her faith in God, she effectively moved herself out of the category of those who stood under the Lord's judgment. And by the grace of God, she is now no longer one of those to be devoted to destruction. Rahab's example shows us that God's purposes have always been to focus those on those who are outside of Israel and to bring them in to His kingdom. What then does this mean for you and I? To put it all together, you know, as I stand here, as I scan my eyes all around this sanctuary, I see God's grace at work in All Saints English. How through the years He has developed us. For those of us who were there from the beginning, our golden harvest day, we took a leap of faith to be planted here. And we find that over the next three decades, we are here where we are today from a cell group to a growing church. And the best thing is this, 
God is not done with us. Yes, from a cell group, we have grown to a church. God is not satisfied with that. There's more that God wants to do in us. We do not know how or what the road ahead may be like. We do not know the obstacles or the challenges, what it will be like. But despite this, the amazing and the wonderful thing is that God still wants to work in us. He still wants to do this new thing, moving forward to develop us and grow us even further. But the question for us is this. When we see the grace of God in us, do we have the same faith like Rahab? Do we believe what the Lord has in store for us here in all saints? Do we have that faith to gear up in preparation for what He's going to do? Faith to put off the old, to leave our comfort zone, to release what is holding us back? Do we have the faith to possess God's purpose for us and to proclaim and say, yes, Lord, here we are. Use us, for we are ready. Don't look to the past. Whatever our failures, our weaknesses, we have seen that God can use Rahab and bring her into the new. God can also use us, despite of our past, to bring us into the new. But we must have this faith. The faith to proceed ahead into the promised land. And this faith, as I mentioned, must be expressed in the way in which our minds are instructed, our emotions are stirred, and our wills are in obedience to God. Let's pray. Father, this evening, we pray that you stir our faith. Stir our faith to a greater height. For we know, Lord, that you are not done with us yet in all things. You have given us in your word in the church camp that you're going to do a new thing in our midst. That by your grace, this is what you desire from us. But Father, we know that faith is not just something we believe in. We need to act upon it. And so, Father, we, I pray that this evening, as we hear your word, may our faith truly be stirred, that our minds are not just being instructed, that our emotions are not just merely being stirred and say, yes, this is a good thing. Help us to act upon it so that we can embrace what you want to do in our midst. So, Father, we thank you we commit ourselves afresh to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.